how much trouble was it to come to church today? How easy was it to come to church? Uh, on a, on a, as uh, winter approaches, uh, you may find it harder and harder to get out of bed, and uh, so it's a case of uh, mind over mattress. Uh, but uh, there's all sorts of obstacles we have to come to church today. There's, uh, will, we, will we actually get out of the house? Uh, do we feel uh, energised enough to meet with people? Uh, is there petrol in the petrol tank? Um, and uh, have we actually got all our work done uh, for the week ahead? There's so many obstacles that we have to go through in our minds, but today we're going to consider the obstacles that Israel had to go through in order to gather together and to meet with God. So let me, uh, let me lead us in prayer. Almighty Father, we thank you for speaking to us through your word. We thank you that uh, we do not come to a a mountain full of uh, trembling and fear, but we do come to you through Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, as we look at your word, that you'd help us to see how amazing it is that we can come before you at all. And we ask for your help to see this, and, uh, and we pray for your spirit to give us obedience. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, we're going through, we're, we're coming to, we're landing the plane on our Exodus series. So technically speaking, we're, we're, we're closing this off today, but next week we'll be looking just at a, uh, a hint of chapter 20 um, and uh, just one commandment as we know that God has saved Israel from Egypt in order to meet with him and for them to be his people. And so we, 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 are, we are trained through the scriptures to learn who this God is, who we're coming to meet, and uh, to be transformed. So next week we'll be looking at just a, a smidgen of chapter 20, um, but here we're landing the plane on what God has promised to Abraham hundreds and hundreds of years before the days of Pharaoh, and, uh, and now they've finally arrived at this mountain. And God, God's people were saved in order to meet with him. You may remember right back when God met with Moses, he said, I'm going... Go and release Israel so that you will bring them back to this mountain to worship me. Uh, God always intended to to gather the people to himself. Uh, In other words, God didn't rescue uh, Israel from slavery just to set slaves free. And say, right, you're free now. Run away like like cockroaches into the wilderness. Just just, um, do whatever you like. No, God says, I've saved you for a purpose so that you actually will be my people. Uh, in, as we go through chapter 19, um, you see in verse 3 there, it says, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to say to the people of Israel. So right there at the beginning of God's speech, he reminds Moses that this is the people of Israel, this is Jacob's descendants. Remember that I've, I set this ball in motion a long, long time ago. This is not just a speech. You know, a spark idea that God had and, uh, and spontaneous. No, God has been slowly and meticulously organising for this very day. In verse 4, uh, God reminds them of this very, very poetic way of thinking what he's done for them in, uh, in releasing them. Verse 4 says, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. There's the description that Israel is to embrace, that they didn't set up one day and say, let's go and discover God. Let's go and work out the meaning of life. Let's go and, and put our philosophy hats on and, and work out what is the truest truth that we can come up with. 
though God came to them and said, you are going to now be my people. And he carried them on eagle's wings. It's a beautiful image. Uh, Not their effort, but God's efforts. It's not by works that they're saved. It's by grace that they've been saved. So they can't boast and they they can only sing praises to God. And God says to them that they are a a treasured possession. Verse 5, now if, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you'll be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So we begin to see the, the, the purpose that God has for Israel. Um, they're not just a nation among nations. They are God's chosen people to be his treasured possession. It's, it's something to actually pause at and remember that God of the universe, who needs nothing, has chosen to make Israel his treasured possession something that he will, he will safeguard, he'll protect and take care of. And that's the language we need to understand that, that God sees in us in, the, in, in sending Jesus to make us part of his kingdom. Uh, and then we go on in, in verses 1 to 8. God asks them, will you be my people? In, in verse 5, which I just read, his intentions is for you to be my treasured possession and you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He says to Moses, these are the words you are to speak to Israel. He gives Moses this little set, this package of information to go down the mountain and tell Israel, here's what God plans to do. You're going to be a treasured possession. You're going to be a holy nation. You're going to be a kingdom of priests. This nation, Israel, you are going to be for the whole world like a, like a priest in a church. That the nations, the whole world will come to you and understand who God is because God has, has, has called you. So God says, this is what I want to do with Israel. Moses, go down the mountain and put it before the people. So you see in verse 7 and 8, so Moses went back and summoned the, pe- the old elders of the people and set before them the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will. We will do everything the Lord has said. And so Moses brought the answer back to God. A little bit of a marriage ceremony kind of image happening. God, the, the groom, presents himself to the bride and says, I am prepared to make you my treasured possession. Would you, will you have me? It's, it's amazing that the God of the universe even asks, uh, do you, would you like to accept this invitation? And the people are able to respond, we will. We will. We'll do that. That's, that's our intention. It's an amazing thing that the God of the universe would gather a, a rebellious misbehaving, self-centered, proud bunch of people who never approached God, but God approached them and said, I want you to be mine, my treasure possession. What an amazing thing. But then trouble gets introduced. We think this, this, this is fantastic, but then there's, a, there's just a clue that there's a problem to be solved. So in verse 9, we see that there's a need for a mediator. We need a mediator. Let me just reread verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speak with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. There's an interaction there between God and Moses. So Moses is able to speak to God and God is able to speak to Moses. And as God speaks to Moses, he says that the people will hear me speaking to you. I think this is impressed me that as 
as Moses is heading up the mountain, he just disappears into the cloud and he can come back down again and just like a magician, he can convince you of what he saw. But no, they, they know that, God's, that Moses is meeting with God. They can hear that thunderous, um, that thunderous noise. But the first thing to just draw out of that verse 9 is that God intends for the people to know him, that they will hear me speak. There's a relationship that God wants to have with the people. Um, it's a, a relationship of knowledge, not fake news, but profound knowledge, the truth of who God is, the God, the invisible God, the almighty God, that he would come and, dis, and, and, and articulate and communicate who he is for us. So God wants us to know him. But in this occasion, we're, we are reminded that there's a mediator. Moses must be the one who who uh, sends the messages up and down the mountain to God and back down to the people. Why is that? It's because God is such a holy God. We, we, we begin to see that although God has brought Israel to himself, although he wants to have this relationship, there's still this problem of sin that separates God from humanity. And this is a problem both for humans and for God. God has to overcome this problem. Uh, he doesn't he's not able to sweep it under the under the carpet because it is a thing it's a big deal that needs to be overcome moses told the lord what the people had said and so moses is interacting with god but if we flick the page we're not doing chapter 20 this week but after we get the 10 commandments uh the 10 words of god given to the people in chapter 20 verse um uh, verse 18 and 19, the people say to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen to you, Moses, but do not have God speak to us or we'll die. It, the people have a, are getting this feeling. They, they are very aware that being in the presence of God is, is impossible. It's, it's terrifying. Um, it is awesome. And Moses, we're told, goes up the mountain and down the mountain and up the mountain and down the mountain and up the mountain and down the mountain. It's a bit comical, but the writer of Exodus 19 is giving us the impression that this is what it takes to meet with God. That we, we can't just walk into his palace and say, how are you going, God? Uh, thanks for having us. Uh, where are the sausages? You know, and, yet, and just have a, bar, um, a, a winter warm with God. You know, it's not that easy. Um, we, there's a mediator that's needed. Meeting with God to worship was complicated because of his holiness. It was complicated because of his holiness. And so God sets them on some tasks to prepare for the day when he will really meet with them. So here, here he is up at the top of the mountain. God is, uh, Moses is going up the mountain to speak with them. But there is a day when God is actually going to appear before Israel and, and, uh, and reveal even more of his presence. So preparing for the day of assembly, verses 10 to 15, he says, get ready for not this day that, or, the, or tomorrow, but the, the day after that. And on that day, the Lord will come down. On that day, the Lord will come down. I'll just read to you from verse 10. The Lord said, go to the people and, conse and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of of all the people so something even bigger is, is is happening but there's preparation that's needed the people are, are to prepare themselves by by cleaning their clothes in verse 15 that we're told that they need to uh, not engage in in sexual activity and uh, in verses 12 to 13 we're reminded and reminded and reminded 
that they to keep their distance from the mountain, don't touch the mountain. Because although I'm coming close to you, you, you need to keep your distance. Um, God is a God, he's a holy God and he's a consuming fire. And I'm sure that we're getting the impression and I'm sure that Israel had the impression that they're meeting with someone who is just way out of their league. He's way out of their league. And we're getting closer actually to, to the good news of this passage, but bear with me. We come to the day. So there's all this pre preparation to happen. The people are preparing, they're washing their, their clothes, they're getting all uh, excited and trembling and, and, and nervous anticipation for the, for the great and terrible day when they meet with God. And on the day of the assembly, the trumpet blasts. Uh, they're summoned uh, by a trumpet in verse 16. Now, later on in Deuteronomy... Uh, three times in the book of Deuteronomy, when Moses refers back to this day, he calls this day the day of the assembly, uh, the great assembly, he calls it, the great assembly. Uh, the, the word assembly, obviously, is to, when, when people assemble, but they're assembling also with God, and they're meeting with God, and the, the word assembly literally is the word church. Uh, it's a gathering. And so uh, this is why when we speak about this passage today, we can rightfully talk about uh, the, the first I think, church service in the Bible. I could be wrong about that, but I was struggling to find another moment in the Bible that precedes this uh, for a church service where the people are gathered because of God, they're gathered to worship God, and they got, they're gathered to hear God, uh, and they're gathered because of God, because of his grace and his mercy. Not just any religious uh, club or institution, but it's the, it's the church that God has assembled. Um, through his purposes and his grace and his mercy. And the, in verse 16, there's a trumpet sound. You're going to know the day is ready when you hear the trumpet. On the third day, verse 16, on the, third day, on the morning of the third day, there was a thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. And we heard in, in Hebrews 12, verse 21, that Moses himself was trembling with fear. There's something weird about that language, that that translation there. It's like he was fearful with fear, or his he was his fear was to the max. Kind of is what that means. He couldn't have been more scared, and yet he met with God. And they meet with God in verse 17. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Are you excited, or are you trembling? Are you anticipating? Are you imagining what it would have felt like to be? have spent two days preparing for this and now you're walking towards this mountain where you know that something terrifying is, is in front of you. Uh, verse 16 and 18, we're reminded how terrified they were. In verse 19, as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. And there we have an interaction between the mediator, Moses, and God. As God not only speaks, but Moses speaks to God as well. And that great day, that great assembly. Friends, there's a big difference between then and now. Massive difference between then and now. But it's important for us to understand how terrifying that account felt for Israel. And it did cross my mind during the week as I'm as I'm mulling this over and preparing for this talk to consider well, what's the point? Like, if it's so horrifying to be in the presence of God, then maybe we should just not be there. Um, Israel could have just turned their backs on the mountain and headed in the other direction. 
uh, I don't think that God would have stopped them. Uh, and they would have had, you know, gone to go back to the, the springs, the oasis that was in the passage just a few um, chapter or two before, and just live their life pleasantly without God. How, why is coming to God so terrifying an attractive offer? Why is it such a good offer? Well, as I mulled that, I then had to repent and realise that actually the fact that it's so terrifying speaks not only of how hard it is for us to consider standing before God, but actually the, the, the process, the preparation that God had to go through in order to meet with us. This great gift of God to, be, be, to, to embrace us as his family requires preparation from God's, on God's behalf. I wonder if you noticed that there's a picture being portrayed in chapter 19 of the mountain. That At the peak of the mountain, I imagine, that that's where Moses goes to, to meet with God. That's the pinnacle of that gathering place. Uh, the people aren't allowed to go up there. In fact, as Moses goes up there, there's something of a, a, a cloud so that even Moses is sort of veiled um, and hidden. And coming down the mountain, I know that uh, Aaron is invited to come up and participate. Aaron is Moses' brother, but he's also the high priest as, as um, delegated by God. And he's allowed to, to come forward. The people are, are, are brought towards the mountain, but they're not allowed to touch the mountain. Um, but that's only after they've spent some time in preparation, a couple of days preparing for this. That image, we, we picture that sort of horizontally. There's the there's landscape and there's the mountain. The people can prepare themselves to come to the mountain, but they can't go so far. But Aaron and Moses can, can ascend to the mountain and, and go there. But if you get an, a drone, an aerial drone, and, and fly on top and look down and spin that uh, as a top view, you get something about that looks like the, the temple. That as soon as God gives, Mo, gives um, Israel the Ten Commandments in the next chapter... Once he's done that, he then proceeds to tell Moses how to make a tent. And he goes into great detail about what this tent looks like. And that the, the starting point of the tent is the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant is going to contain the, the Ten Commandments, but it's also, going to, it's also going to represent the presence of God. As if in all the planet of the whole world, this one little box is going to represent this is where God dwells. But only the high priest once a year can enter that, that most holy that most holy place, the Holy of Holies. Just outside the Holy of Holies is the holy place where, uh, where the priests can enter. Outside that holy place is the, is the preparation court, the outer court, where the, where the people come to the court and meet with the priests and they bring their offerings. And outside that whole rectangular perimeter is the people of God who have spent days cleansing themselves, getting themselves clean in order to bring themselves to God. You see that, that distance that, we, that, that is instituted by God but this again is the grace of God that without this construction God is not even present with us this is his attempt to come close to mankind and to dwell with us and to communicate with us and to give us instructions that we can live by that we can love the Lord our God with all our heart mind and soul and love our neighbours ourselves that we can be the people that God has created us to be um, from the beginning of the world but there's more that happens in this preparation day. It's a little, such a quirky little thing. I don't know if you noticed it, but what summoned them on the day of um, assembly was a huge trumpet blast. And the trumpet got louder and louder and louder, and it was such a loud thing that trembled. But do you know what the trumpet was made of? Did you notice what the trumpet was made of? In verse 13, such a subtle little line. Only when the ram's horn sounds 
a long blast, may they approach, may they approach the mountain. It's a quirky little detail in the Bible, uh, but it, it seems to me that the trumpet is coming from the horn of a ram, a male sheep. I don't want to push that too far, but God's put, me, put that data in front of me to do something with. And I wonder if it's just a little clue that um, while the people are preparing uh, to meet with God, God has some preparation to do as well in order to meet with, with an unholy people and declare them holy because, because he has made them holy. Of course, there's the other clue in the passage which we're reminded that it's not on day one, day two, but on the third day. That's when you're going to meet with God, on the third day. And friends, I think that we have an image here of, uh, of what God will eventually do, a much greater thing that God would do for us, greater than meeting with Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai. He'll meet us at, the, at Golgotha, uh, on the mount where Jesus laid down his life, so that the Son of God... Rather than meet with us on a mountain that we have to trek up to, God came all the way down the mountain uh, uh, from heaven to earth in the form of a man. We said this in the creed in Philippians. And he lay, uh, humbled himself even to death on a cross so that our sins could be taken care of, so that while we are unable to stand before a holy and terrifying God, God is able to come to us and deal with that sin in a way that we could never, ever, ever do on our own. And on the third day, come booming out of the grave to say that death has no sting, that sin and judgment has been dealt with, and you are the people of God. You are now a holy people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. We don't come to something unbearable because God has already taken the bore the sins for us uh, and dealt with it as hebrews 12 says we don't come to a scary mountain we come to jesus the mediator and great uh, great sacrifice on our behalf so i think this passage does two things at least two things for me uh, the first is a reminder that to have a relationship with god was not easy for god for us to do that he would go to great lengths so that you could come strolling into church and 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 have joy to meet with one another what seems like such an easy thing for us to do to walk into a into a building and greet one another and have and have fellowship has taken uh, the son of man to come to earth and to lay down his life so that we could have joy in the lord rather than trembling and fear this passage reminds me that without Jesus, actually we, are, we ought to t- be terrified of God. And friends, we, everyone needs Jesus in order to overcome this, this trembling and this terror. One day, every, every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we need to bring this message of Jesus to our neighbourhood um, and have it constantly on our, on our mind that without Jesus, this is the image of God. This is what people will look forward to with trembling and fear. But the other thing that this passage does for me is to, is to thank God that when he, wants to, us to, when he wants me to have a relationship with him, he wants me to have a relationship with him in fellowship with, with you. He doesn't want me to be a Christian on my own. He wants us to assemble his purpose for saving Israel was to 
assemble, to gather, to do church. And I know that uh, there are all sorts of reasons why we might find church redundant. I think that the message of the grace of God has a negative spin for us that now we don't feel like we need church. But friends, we've been saved in order to do church. And one hour, one, and a, one, one hour, 15 minutes every Sunday is such a small, a small uh, glimpse into what God is excited for us to, um, to celebrate and be a part of. Um, uh, when, when it was suggested we do the winter warmers, uh, um, idea which is not new, I understand I'm looking forward to my first winter warmer. Um, you've done it before. And I'm excited that we just hang out together, that we enjoy the fact that God has made peace between mankind and us and between you and me. So that now I'm able to be in fellowship with you and to forgive you for your sins that you've sinned against me or to bear with you just as you would bear with me and, and put up with me and forgive me when, whenever I do something that needs forgiveness. We have a great God who is a God of res- restoration. He is a God that we need to be fearful of, but we give thanks and praise that God has taken away that fear through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to respond to this, uh, to this in song. We're going to sing um, uh, praises and glory. I'll invite the band to come up. We're going to sing praises and glory to our God um, because he is a holy God. That's why we, we wonder at him and marvel and, uh, and are gloriously praising him.